I'm your host, Jeffrey, and you're listening to Gaysian, the show where I talk about what matters most to the gay and Asian community. I'm Filipino-American, and October is Filipino-American History Month. I know I could celebrate by feasting on delicious Filipino food, which I will do, but it's me, and I want to celebrate by raising awareness around the deeper issues in the Filipino community. On today's show, I interview Dr. E.J.R. David, the author of Brown Skin, White Minds. Dr. David integrates research and history to examine the psychological impact of Spanish and American colonialism in the Philippines. His research suggests that Filipinos and Filipino Americans live with colonial mentality, a specific form of internalized oppression where individuals regard anything of their heritage as inferior to their colonizers. His research suggests that since the Philippines was colonized by Spain for over 300 years and then another 48 years by the U.S., Filipinos have internalized the belief that they are inferior. And most interestingly, he argues that this colonial mentality transcends generations. I'm a second generation Filipino who grew up in Southern California and I asked Dr. David, how could I have colonial mentality if... I'm Filipino-American and didn't grow up in the Philippines. He answers that question and we discuss how we can decolonize ourselves and our communities and begin seeing ourselves and our histories with both clarity and pride. As you listen, if anything resonates with you, share this episode with a friend or family member and send me your thoughts at gaysianpodcast at gmail.com or DM me at gaysianpodcast on Instagram. I'd love to feature some of you and read your responses on next week's episode. Dr. EGR David, thank you so much for um, spending time with me today. I know that I've like bombarded <laughs> you with emails saying, please, please, please talk to me. And thank you for your persistence. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that I'm glad that you like the persistence. And the reason why I was so persistent is because I read the book and I finished it. And I, I really had this experience, um, with, uh, with the book and with the content and, and with all mm-hmm. of the, um, the research that you wove into, uh, this very contextualized narrative about the history of the Philippines, you know, immigrate, mm-hmm. uh, Filipinos immigrating to the U S and how that entire experience, uh, creates, uh, a psychology, a psychology mm-hmm. that's not just, uh, about one individual, but about a community of people. Um, mm. And as a second generation Filipino American, um, I it really spoke to me. And mm. reflections that I've had throughout my life, I think led me to your book. And for mm-hmm. me growing up, there was a lot of uncertainty about my identity, uh, mm-hmm. feelings of belonging and not belonging. Mm-hmm. And uh, now that you know that I've grown up in San Diego, maybe you, you know, uh, maybe it makes you wonder about, um, you know, the type of experience I had growing up. But I had a lot of questions about being Filipino, uh, mm-hmm. questions about accepting myself and mm-hmm. being able to have pride in, in my culture. And mm-hmm. with this book, I felt like I got answers, um, mm-hmm. answers that helped me understand that my internalized feelings um, were really a result of something larger than myself. So I, I just mm-hmm. want to say thank you 
Um, mm. But my first question for you is, why is the book called Brown Skins, White Minds? Oh, well, before I answer that question, I want to say thank you for the, the kind words um, that you just shared about the book. Um, and also, I'm really honored um, to have the book uh, make such a big impact on your own journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I appreciate you sharing that and I'm glad to hear, uh, that it's, you know, uh, a part of your own identity development. Mm-hmm. And so not to answer your question, uh, why is it called brown skin, white minds? Um, th- this book, this work, uh, was really inspired by one of the, one of the main inspirations of the book, uh, is uh, Franz Fanon, who is probably the most well-known uh, scholar who studied colonialism and the psychological effects of colonialism. Uh, Franz Fanon uh, studied the effects of colonialism in Algeria uh, back in the 40s, 50s. And he wrote a super influential book called Black Skin, White Masks. Um mm-hmm essentially talking about, you know, the same concept of colonial mentality or internalized oppression um, as experienced by Algerians um, under French uh, colonialism. So mm. um, so that book, uh, his work, Franz Fanon's work, uh, was, was very eye-opening for me, actually. And I saw a lot of my own personal experiences and a lot of the Filipino experience um, in his work. And so it's an ode to black skin, white masks. Um, but for me, um, you know, so the difference here is brown skin, of course, but also white minds, you know, so for me, it was, you know, given that I am in the field of psychology, um, you know, there's a focus in my work in, you know, looking into the psychological experiences of people and, uh, you know, me using psychological methods, psychological theories and psychological tools um, to better understand this phenomenon of colonial mentality. Um, and so that's why it's called brown skin, white minds. And that despite the fact that we have uh, in general, right, because I do mm-hmm. want to acknowledge that there is. Uh, skin color diversity in the Filipino community. Um, but even though in general, um, we are brown skinned peoples, um, you know, because of colonialism, because of many generations of colonialism and because of the legacies of colonialism, our minds have been distorted um, in, in, in very deep and troubling ways. I've n- never really heard of the term colonialized mindset mm-hmm. um, and, and interrogated and explored mm-hmm. in this way, mm-hmm. you know, in, in the classes that I took growing up and, and in college, mm-hmm. uh, we were always taught about internalized racism. Mm-hmm. Um, but colonialized mindset is, is different mm-hmm. in that much like internalized depression, it is a, condition wherein oppressed individuals feel uh, hate or shame about themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, But what makes colonialized mindset different or 
almost an extension of internalized racism? Yeah, so that's a great question. Uh, so to me, I conceptualize, I conceptualize colonial mentality really as a specific form of internalized oppression. So internalized oppression is the more general term. So oppression can come in many ways. Um, oppression can come as, you know, oppression because of your race, oppression because of your gender, oppression because of um, your sexual orientation, oppression because of your class, right? Oppression because of mm -hmm. your religion, etc. So oppression can come in different ways. Um, and, you know, colonialism, you know, is, is, is almost like, yeah, like I said earlier, it's a specific kind of internalized oppression, um, one that is rooted in colonialism, but it's just also a special kind, you know, it's like a special category within, uh, internalized racism because mm -hmm. colonial, colonial, colonialism, the process of colonialism encompasses a whole bunch of different kinds of oppression itself, right? So it's not just about racial or ethnic oppression that comes along with colonialism. Uh, there's also cultural oppression. There's also, you know, oppression because of religion, you know, and oppression, you know, in particular colonialism in, as experienced by the people in what is now known as the Philippines, um, you know, it, their experiences of colonialism came with, you know, particular views on gender, for instance, mm. um, you know, because Spanish colonialism brought in their own ideas of, you know, masculinity and femininity and, you know, really distorted the ways that, you know, the indigenous peoples there uh, viewed uh, sexuality and gender. Um, so, you know, so colonialism is especially in that it also encompasses a bunch of different kinds of oppression, religious, race, ethnic, culture, etc etc um, mm -hmm. but but all of these things like I said all of these things are part of internalized oppression which is as you mentioned um, it is when oppressed peoples um, not because of their own doing but because you know of the experiences they have within an oppressive society um, eventually they succumb to those um, oppressive messages they succumb to those oppressive systems that have been set up um, and some may come to believe or accept the supposed inferiority um, of their identity um, you know and and develop a desire to distance themselves from you know, what they now perceive as inferior or wrong or um, flawed identities, right? But mm. you know, if their idea of what is better, if their idea of, of what is more, quote unquote, civilized ways is the image of the oppressor, or in this case, the image of the colonizer, then they will emulate the colonizer as much as possible. Um, they will try to behave like the colonizer. They will adopt the language, the mannerisms, the values, the worldviews of the colonizer um, and try to be as much like the colonizer as possible. Mm. Um, and then at the same time, discriminating or distancing themselves against those who they think are backwards or are not, you know, assimilating enough. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So, so yeah. But mm -hmm. I think what you argue in your book is that 
this mindset comes from the history of the Philippines. Yes. That it comes from the colonial history of the Philippines, Mm -hmm. not just the system of racism within America. Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the reason why we're calling it colonial mentality is because, you know, the the understanding is it was rooted in colonialism, right? Um, So that's, that's where it started. Um, from colonialism. Can but you no, describe? Yeah, oh. can you describe like how that can be? Like me as a second generation Filipino who was born, you know, in Orange County, California. <laughs> you know, how can I wrap my head around the idea that I have internalized depression, or I feel a certain way mm-hmm. about myself or mm-hmm. Filipino culture? Mm-hmm when I haven't even lived that history that I, you know, I've mm-hmm. lived and grown up in Southern California, how can that be that the mm-hmm. history of the Philippines impacts who I am today and what I think and feel about myself? Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great question. So my, my research, um, you know, suggest, uh, that for many Filipinos, um, and Filipino Americans too, a lot of these attitudes and a lot of these beliefs and behaviors that are really manifestations of internalized oppression, um, they are learned, right? So we're not born with these attitudes. You know, we're not born wanting to be as white as possible. We're not born being ashamed of our Filipino-ness. Um, and so therefore we must have learned it. Um, and my research suggests that people who see their relatives, who see their friends and who see people in the larger community, uh, display these attitudes and behaviors, um, the more likely that they will have colonial mentality themselves. Right. And so they, they learn it, you know, you witness it, you're, you're exposed to it, um, you learn it. And so for, you know, so for people who, you know, like you, who, like you said, who's never even been to the Philippines, you know, how can you call it, you know, colonial mentality, right? Um, these are the legacies of colonialism, right? So you don't need to, to, to directly experience, um, colonialism, uh, for you to develop colonial mentality, um, you know, because mm. the legacies of colonialism can be passed on from one generation to the next, uh, because you know that's that's how deep it has become, right? The Philippines has not been a colony, like technically, technically the Philippines stopped being a colony in 1946, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but nevertheless, the colonial the legacies of colonialism still persist in the Philippines today. Right. You still have, for instance, the propagation of uh, skin whitening products all over the Philippines. Um, and, you know, the 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 idea that whiteness um, is more attractive and more desirable and more advantageous um, is still ubiquitous uh, in the Philippines. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are rooted in colonialism. Right. Um, The fact that English is considered a national language in the Philippines, the fact that English is the language that is used for um, formal instruction in Philippine schools to this day, um, those are legacies of colonialism. Right. Because, you know, that, that particular practice right there, that 
that policy, right, um, you know, is it propagates the message that English is the language of the educated and that for you to move up into society, you need to become proficient in English, right? Um, so that's the assumption behind that, you know, but nevertheless, the Philippines is not a colony anymore. Even people in the Philippines in this day is kind of like what you were saying, like they've never experience colonialism directly, but nevertheless, the legacies of colonialism uh, still permeates, you know, the environment that they live in. And so they can still develop colonial mentality, definitely, you know. And so for, for those of us who are here in the United States, um, we can learn it, you know, from our parents, you know, if our parents are immigrants, um, if, you know, if our parents raise us uh, in such a way that, you know, it, it, it reinforces, you know, that those attitudes and behaviors, like if, you know, we grew up in such a way that our parents told us to stay away from the sun so that we don't get too dark, you know, um, or if, you know, if, if as we shop with our parents at uh, Seafood City, you know, we walk by the skin whitening aisles and see all the skin whitening products on there, you know, uh, or as we watch, you know, TFC, you know, and all we see on TV as the beautiful people, as the celebrities are light skinned people, um, you know, yeah. so these, you know, those messages as, you know, as subtle as they may be, nevertheless can, can you know, reinforce um, attitudes and behaviors that were rooted in colonialism. It was really helpful for me to hear that the legacies of colonialism exist in attitudes mm -hmm. and how that is passed down from one generation to the next. Yeah. So it can be passed down from one generation to the next, right? Through, so we learn, you know, through socialization and so forth. But, but, you know, we also learn through continued experiences of oppression. Right? So that, that's where we see really the connection between colonialism and oppression more generally. And that, you know, even here in the United States, even though we may not necessarily you know, this is not colonialism per se for, for many of us, mm -hmm. for the indigenous people of these lands it is, um, you know, but, but, you know, even though it's not technically colonialism uh, mm -hmm. for us here in this country, um, it still operates in, 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 the, in very much the same way as colonialism in that there are still messages that inferiorize our ethnicity and our culture and our body. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, you know, there are still messages that elevates, you know, whiteness um, and, and Western culture and Western worldviews and values as, mm. you know, as better. So those are the same dynamics as, you know, what is done in colonialism. So, mm. you know, so that's that's really the connection there. Yeah, I, I, I kind of want to go back a little bit to uh, the, sure. the history of the Philippines. And sure. what were some of the tools used by Spanish and U.S. colonizers that mm -hmm. made Filipinos feel inferior? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, let me see <laughs> if I can do this in a few minutes. <laughs> there are many things, right? Spanish colonialism lasted for about 350 years. And so there are many things that the Spanish did that uh, conveyed the message that uh, the Filipino culture and ethnicity are inferior to whatever the Spanish was bringing. Um, mm -hmm. And what is perhaps the most, uh, the most uh, impactful 
um, in sending that message um, is the fact that uh, the Spanish established this uh, racial hierarchy um, in the colony where the pure Spanish people, mm -hmm. um, like people who were born in Spain, uh, they were called uh, peninsulares. They were on top of this, this hierarchy and held the most power, mm -hmm. right? So they were like the officials, you know, they were the leaders. Um, and then right below them uh, were followed by quote unquote, pure Spanish people also, but, but they weren't born in the colonies in the Americas. So like, you know, uh, born in, you know, Spanish Mexico, for example, but nevertheless, they're still pure Spanish people. They're still white people. Mm. Right. And they were called Americanos. So you have the peninsulares, the Americanos right below them still mm. had a lot of power. Right. And then right below that are again, the pure Spanish people, but they were the ones who were born in the Philippine colony. And mm. really they were the ones who were called Filipinos. So the term Filipinos were used to refer to white people, to Spanish people, but they were just born in the Philippines, mm. right? And then right below those, you know, those white folks, those white Spanish folks are the mixed race people, you know, people who are mixed with, you know, Spanish people and, they were in, and then the indigenous people. Um, and then below that are the... Uh, Chinese people, <laughs> mm. um, you know, because there are Chinese people in the Philippines. And then below the Chinese mm. people are the indigenous people of mm. the lands now known as the Philippines. They were called Indios. Um, mm. So that's what they were referred to back then, the Indios. And then at the bottom of this hierarchy are the even darker skinned uh, indigenous peoples of the Philippines, you know, otherwise known as Negritos, right? Um, and so if you look at this racial hierarchy, you you, you will literally see the color gradient, you know, <laughs> with the the whitest of the white who were born in mm. Spain on top, you know, and then the darkest, you know, the darkest skin people at the bottom. And so that's that's that was the hierarchy that was set up in the Philippines. And so wow. the institutions that were set up. You know, whether that, you know, whether that be the, the government, the, the whatever jobs there might be, whatever education um, that people were allowed to even take back then. Um, you know, people who 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 adopt, people who assimilate in this case. So religion, I want to bring in religion to here, mm -hmm. too. Because that's another big tool that the Spanish used. Um, and so people, for example, the Indios, the indigenous people who adopted as much of the Spanish ways um, as possible, they were kind of uh, allowed to move up this hierarchy a little bit more. You know, they were accepted better. So if they, you know, learned the Spanish language, if they converted into Catholicism, mm -hmm. right, then they were allowed to move up. They were accepted better. They were treated better. Perhaps they were given be better jobs. You see what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, whereas those who don't, they remain at the bottom of the hierarchy. So that's one. Yeah. So that's mm. that's very clear. So the message that is being conveyed there is that the more Spanish you become, you know, the better mm. off you will be in this society. Right. Mm. Yeah. And then but then there's limits to that, because, you know, even if, you know, an Indio becomes Catholic and even if an Indio becomes uh, Spanish speaking, even if an Indio starts dressing like, you know, Spanish people and adopted the Spanish ways and values, that Indio is still going to be an Indio. 
it, it, mm. that India will still can only go up so much in this hierarchy. You see what I'm saying? Well, what else can the India do then to move up even higher? Where mm. this is the, this is where the idea of marrying up comes in. Mm. Because mixed race people, if you remember, mixed race people is somewhere in the middle of this of this racial hierarchy. And so if this mm. Indio somehow, quote unquote, gets lucky, right, and, mm. and, and, and marries into a Spanish person, mm. I mean, a, uh, that marries a Spanish person, right, no. uh, marries into a Spanish family, marries a Spanish person, um, and they end up having... Um, mestizo or mixed race, you know, Spanish Indio children, right? Mm -hmm. Then their children are now literally higher up in this hierarchy. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so yeah. So all of these attitudes, in many ways, are still around to this day. You know, I oh, definitely, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. yeah. so, so what you're explaining is that there's a hierarchy based on how. Like your proximity to being Spanish so or being Spanish or whiteness <laughs> or Western. But then for folks who are at the bottom of that hierarchy, there's mm -hmm. only so much assimilation mm -hmm. that you can do, um, but there are still limits to, right. to how far up you can be on the hierarchy based on how white you are or not. Yeah, exactly. You know, like back then, you know, back then, the only way that you can literally transcend uh, these these racial categories was to, you know, marry a white person. Right. And mm -hmm. then it's really your children who's going to transcend it. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to change you know, my, my race, mm -hmm. <laughs> even if I marry somebody else. You know what I mean? Yeah. But my children can. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so, so back then that was like the, the the way to move up this this hierarchy. Yeah, marry up, right? Yeah. Today though, today you know, it still exists. Today we oh, can't yeah. we can't say that this is a phenomenon oh, yeah. that's only specific to that period of time. Oh, yeah, today this like, definitely still exists. We may not admit it, but it, it yeah. does. You know, like mm -hmm. you know, like mestizo kids, mestizo children we you know with white people are are you know still regarded as more attractive mm -hmm. okay? um i mean if we watch tfc i mean the majority of people you will see there are are, are mestizo people mm -hmm. so so yeah but but you know the, the one of the bigger differences today though that did not happen or it did not exist or perhaps was not possible uh, possible uh during spanish colonial times is today we have skin whitening products now. Mm. So even if you don't marry up, right, you can literally turn yourself more white because of skin whitening products. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so you can look more white. Um, yeah, with, with all these, uh, you know, creams and lotions and, and bleach uh, and even IV drips. I'm not sure if you know this now, but you can, in the Philippines, uh, you can, you can whiten your skin by, by getting IV treatments. So. Oh, wow. Yeah. Are there like out of curiosity in the Philippines, are there campaigns against these types of treatments that make Filipino people aware of yeah. The harm and the destruction of this and the perpetuation of internalized, mm -hmm. you know, oppression, or is this kind of like a social norm? Like it's actually uh, encouraged that, that people mm -hmm. seek out these treatments um, in the hopes that maybe they're treated better. 
It is. It is. It is the norm. So, you know, it is the dominant uh, narrative um, in that, uh, you know, like people very rarely uh, question it anymore. I mean, it's it's super blatant. You know, you have uh, TV ads telling people that, you know, they, they need to use certain skin whitening products, you know, to to get a better job or to look more attractive, you know, so it's definitely become the norm, um, mm-hmm. you know, and then, you know, you drive around, you'll see skin whitening clinics everywhere. Um, so it's definitely become the norm. However, um, yes, there are efforts, you know, among different organizations, different people um, to fight this, um, you know, to raise some, some, some consciousness uh, and awareness about the damages of of these products, um, but nevertheless, you know, that's we have to remember that the skin whitening industry is really a multiple billion dollar here worldwide power mm-hmm. um, you know so it's not just happening in the philippines it's happening in different countries in africa it's happening in different countries in asia and latin america so you know there are very powerful influential people that that you know who are who are making a lot of money um with these products mm-hmm. so even though there are efforts to to raise awareness against it and to fight it um those are really being drowned out um, mm. you know, by, by, by powerful corporations. So, so yeah, so it is, it is, um, it is a tough thing to do. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah tough thing to, to fight against. Um, but there are, there is movement though. I do want to acknowledge that there are movements and there's some progress. What about when the U S uh, colonized the Philippines? Um, wow. Was it similar? Was it different? Um, how, how were ideas of Filipino inferiority reinforced when the U.S. was there? Yeah. And so, you know, by the time the U.S. came in um, around 1898, um, you know, the notion of, you know, white superiority um, has been deeply ingrained um in filipino society in the filipino psyche already Mm -hmm. i mean you know spanish colonialism was almost 350 years you know so that's many many generations of being hammered with that message right and so by the time the u.s came you know that was already there that was already established and the u.s really you know didn't have to do much you know i mean they brought in you know if if spain introduced colorism Mm. the united states brought in their racism yeah (laughs) and so it it just further reinforced it um you know, and, and it wasn't very different. You know, the United States came in and they established the, you know, the public school system, um, which was very similar to what they did with the indigenous peoples of yeah. North America, right? They established mm-hmm. uh, public schools here too. And, you know, what they did here was they tried to, you know, the, the common um, uh, 
I guess, phrase for that was uh, kill the Indian, but save the man. Right. But, yeah. but the, the idea there was, you know, they were going to turn Filipino. They were going to westernize Filipinos, you know, they mm-hmm. and they did. You know, they taught them the English language. They taught them that America was there to bring democracy, you know, and that America was there to, to you know, teach Filipinos, educate Filipinos, civilize Filipinos, to free Filipinos, even though the Filipinos, you know, fought for their own freedom and got their own freedom, then they did not have to be freed anymore. Um, Mm. You know, but, but that was the whole messaging was that the United States was there you know, to educate, civilize, Christianize, you know, that, that was mm-hmm. another thing too. That was a, a, a president William McKinley phrase that the Philippines, mm-hmm. that the United States had to Christianize the Philippines, even though the Philippines by that time were already mostly Christian. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so again, the idea was that the United States was going to make the Filipinos better. Um, and so, yeah, so going back to, you know, to, to, to race, um, particularly, you know, it, it was the same way. Um, you know, the, the the institutions that the Americans set up um, still propagated, um, you know, white supremacy, and that you know the 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 closer you are to whiteness, uh, the better off you will be treated. Um, in society. So if you learn the English language, if you become educated in the American way, um, the better job you're going to get, uh, the more, you know, the more accepted you're going to be. Um, so yeah, so it was not mm. very different at all. And so eventually, you know, the, the, the systems that the United States set up, even, you know, the economic systems, the educational system and so on, even after they left the Philippines, you know, after the Philippines officially stopped being a colony of the United States, you know, what was left behind there, the institutions that were left behind, uh, were still uh, operating to benefit the United States and um, continually subjugate the Philippines and the Filipinos. So, you know, if you think about it, uh, for, for example... The mm. school systems that they set up, um, you know, the school systems were set up so that, you know, it trains Filipinos essentially to serve and work in other places um, beyond the Philippines. Um, and so what happens mm. there is that, you know, people get trained in the Philippines in the English language. They get trained in the Philippines, you know, in, in the Western ways. And then the Philippines takes pride in creating a workforce that is mm-hmm. English speaking and familiar with Western ways so that they can send their workforce out to the rest of the world. Right. And then, you know, and then the Philippine economy literally has become dependent on the money that Filipino workers in other parts of the world send back to the Philippines. Like a big part of the Philippine economy GDP is mm-hmm. from that system. You know, from the OFWs, overseas Filipino workers, right? Mm. And so, you know, so the Philippines has literally, you know, and, and many OFWs work in Western countries, the United States, you know, in 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 Europe, right? And, and so, the Philippines has literally become dependent, and mm. still dependent on Western societies, you know, um, and in our educational system in the Philippines. 
you know, is is designed to to, to continually westernize Filipinos, and mm. you know, and and to, you know, to train and educate Filipinos in such a way that their you know their training is essentially to go work and serve other countries. Mm. So, yeah, so it's so it's still that way, um, mm. even though it's not a colony anymore. That the the systems that were set up mm-hmm. still uphold Western dominance and American superiority and make Filipinos the way that it's set up forces almost forces Filipinos to to leave the Philippines. Yeah. That the skills that are baked into the educational system of the Philippines are meant to results in Filipinos leaving the Philippines and and being of service to other Western countries. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You know, and and, and it's, it's sad, right? I mean, if you think about it, you know, on my, on, on, I do want to point out though, that I'm not not blaming Filipinos for having to do that. You know, people got to do what they got to do to survive. Yeah. Right. But all I'm saying is that's just their, their system is, has been set up that way. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, you know, and that's the colonial system that, you yeah. know, that is still set up and still operating. Yeah. yeah. And so thinking about my lived experience in my family, I guess this raises a lot of questions. And uh-huh. I, I think a lot of us are unaware about the, uh, the system, the colonial system and how it's been set up and how it's been set up to continue this legacy, um, and for me, I think about my family, how a lot of my uncles, my aunts, my grandparents have a lot of pride mm-hmm. in leaving the Philippines and coming mm-hmm. to the U.S. and frame their story, and, and rightly so, I think, because this is how they understand their story, frame their story as one of like hope mm-hmm. and we did the right thing and we wanted a better life for mm-hmm. us and for you and for our family. Mm-hmm. And that's why we're here. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like there's another side to that is a side that we're unaware of that's unspoken. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I guess I'm trying to reconcile the two. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like what you're saying about like, you can't blame Filipinos. Like mm-hmm. they got to do what they got to do to survive. Mm-hmm. Um, but how can someone like me be aware of this, but also have pride for my family's pride in the journey mm-hmm. that they had leaving the Philippines? Yeah. You know, hence the, the dilemma of many colonized yeah. people, right? Colonialism, yeah. colonialism has really messed up. It is. A yeah. lot of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, again, I, I don't want to minimize that particular story because that story is legit. You know, it, mm-hmm. it really is. Uh, you know, a lot of people have have worked hard and have overcome so much, right? Um, and they've sacrificed and given up so much um, to come to this country, you know, for a better life. And they've endured so much injustices here in this country, you know, um, to, to give uh, the younger or the next generation um, you know, a better life, right? So, so definitely that's legit. But one thing that we need to remember is that people, you know, we're talking about Filipinos here. Uh, Filipinos were not born with, you know, an I want to move to the United States gene. Like mm-hmm. we're not genetically 
programmed to want to move to the United States. Mm. You know, so, you know, again, like I said earlier, something happened, right? And for many people, the reason why life in the Philippines is so difficult, right? And the reason why life in the Philippines feels so hopeless that they, you know, want to leave it, right? And look for opportunities somewhere else. The reason for that is colonialism and continued oppression of the Philippines, right? The, the systems that we were just talking about earlier, the systems that are still operating in the Philippines today, you know, th that's the reason why many Filipinos um, feel the need to, you know, to have to leave the Philippines and go look for a quote unquote, a better life somewhere else. Hmm. Um, so, so we need to, to remember that, right? We need to remember that, that, you know, again, Filipinos, we, we don't have a, I want to move to the United States instinct. <laughs> We're not born with yeah. that, you know? So, so, you know, so, um, so for, you know, second and later generation Filipinos, right. Who, who, who understand, that, but also want to honor their families. I mean, they're not, again, uh, that is a dilemma that is difficult to reconcile, but, you know, I want, I want us to, to remember that um, they're not necessarily in contradiction uh, mm -hmm. with each other, right? Honoring the sacrifices and the hard work of our parents or our grandparents is, is not against also understanding the larger historical and sociopolitical context, mm. you know, that, that contributed to that hard work. You see what I mean? Yeah. Mm. So it's, it's almost like, um, honor that, honor their resilience, right? Honor their resilience. But at the same time, we can also, um, and we must also understand the factors, both historically and contemporarily, that force them mm. to have to be resilient. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's such, that's such profound uh, advice. And I think that's what you also do so well in the book is that you kind of explain the, the uh, individual psychological like impact or questions, like the question that I just raised with you mm. and you explain it through the social and political structures that have been set up. And so like, yeah, just thank you for that. Like helping me understand how I can reconcile the two as mm -hmm. an understanding of a history mm -hmm. um, and not yeah. a judgment on the decisions that my family made. Yeah. You know, and again, it's not, it's not easy, right? It, mm -hmm. it really isn't easy. Um, and just to make it, I'm actually going to present a, perhaps a, a, an even more difficult dilemma yeah. that I think all of us, I think all of us here, um, especially Filipino Americans here, um, should struggle with, should try to grapple with. I don't mm -hmm. have an answer to it, but I think we must all grapple with it, which is, um, you know, so what you presented there is difficult, but I think this one is more difficult. Like to what extent are we complicit? Yeah. to, you know, to the, to the continued, um, really dominance of this country over much of the world, including the Philippines. Right. So we were just talking about how, 
the systems in the Philippines to this day are still designed and are still operating to benefit the United States, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so then how are we then being part of the United States also as Filipino Americans? Um, in what ways are we complicit to, you know, really the further oppression of our homelands and the people in our homelands? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so in, in I think, if, yeah. if we grapple with that and if we find ways as, as small as they may be, you know, to to reconcile that a little bit, then then I think it can also help us reconcile how we feel about the sacrifices and the decisions that our ancestors made. Hmm. When you say being hmm. complicit in how the Philippines is treated today, Mm-hmm. or how Filipinos in the Philippines are treated today. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you mean by that? Well, in, I, I meant it in, 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 mm-hmm. in many ways, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, in a more, I guess, individual, you know, interpersonal, I guess, mm-hmm. smaller scale way. Um, you know, how do we as Filipino Americans continue to propagate and reinforce the message that, uh, being in America is better than being in the Philippines. Yeah. Right. So many of us fill amps, you know, when we go to the Philippines, uh, many of us act like we're better than everybody else over there. Mm. Um, you know, and, and maybe many of us are treated better also yeah. because being fill amps too. Right. And we enjoy yeah. that privilege when we're, when we're there. Right. We enjoy it. We live it up, you know, we play mm-hmm. it up. Um, you know, so, so, you know, so those are, you know, so, the, but that's just, you know, on a smaller scale, right? Like how do we yeah. propagate that? Right. But then, you know, on a more interpersonal level, like when we're, you know, when we get to a point when we're raising children, for example, or when we're dealing with younger people, uh, younger generations, you know, what, what kind of messages do we, do we share with them about the Philippines? Right. Mm-hmm. Do we, we, you know, whether, you know, intentionally or not, do we convey to them the message that the Philippines is a third world country, that the Philippines has no hope because there's so much corruption? You see what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that it'll never get better, right? Mm-hmm. Those are the messages that many of us heard growing up, you know, that portray the Philippines as, you know, just globally inferior, to the mm-hmm. United States in many ways, inferior government and, inf- you know, inferior ways of life, inferior infrastructure, inferior everything. Mm-hmm. So how are we supposed to take pride in, in, in something that we grew up hearing negative things about? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know. uh, <laughs> yeah. I hear, I hear what you're saying and I can speak from personal experience in that those are, you know, those are messages that I've been told to to address your first point about you know visiting the Philippines being a philam and living it up and almost reveling in thinking that you're better or in, in some cases being treated like you're better because you're American mm-hmm. um you know I, I I've been to the Philippines and I've I was younger and I experienced that and and then to drive around and and then also look for things that reinforce the idea that uh, the Philippines is a corrupt and mm-hmm. in lots of ways impoverished and like destitute mm-hmm. place mm-hmm. Um, and having like my bias confirmed and, and, and not and wrongly doing that too, you know, mm-hmm. um, 
What I think is interesting, what I'm seeing right now with lots of younger Filipinos here in America is that they are becoming increasingly aware of their racialized experience Mm -hmm. in being oppressed by the system of racism here in America that Mm -hmm. they are now looking at the Philippines as this sort of like magical fantasy land that will help them actualize their identity as Filipino, that they're looking at the Philippines as a way for them to, to get back to their roots or understand their history and culture and have this sort of like eat, pray, love moment. Yep. Yep. Um, And (laughs) that one for me is like, what is, what is that? Like, what is going on? Yeah. Like I hear that. I, I definitely have have heard and seen that. Um, and, you know, to be honest with you, just to be completely frank, you know, I think there was even a point in my development when I wanted to also do something like that. You know, I think mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's part of the normal, um, you know, ethnic identity development, right? Um, and again, I don't want to, I don't want to um, belittle uh, many of our kapwa who who do that um, or who have done that, you know, as part of their own journey because it is their journey, you know. And if they find that um, healing or helpful, um, you know, with their own journey, then then that's that's great. Um, but I do want to caution though. What what I've seen as you know we're kind of really beginning to also uh, kind of appropriate um, mm-hmm. certain things uh, you know because we have to remember that the Philippines we're very diverse you know there are many different ethnic and cultural groups in the Philippines and um, and the dynamics between them uh, is very important to consider. You know, in that some cultural groups, some ethnic groups in the Philippines have become more dominant than others and even oppressive um, themselves. And so, you know, it, it's painful, uh, especially for many indigenous groups in the Philippines who are still being oppressed today um, and even oppressed by dominant you know, ethnic groups in the Philippines today uh, to see their cultural ways um, being appropriated, you know, as part of, you know, somebody's, as you stated, eat, pray, love mm. moment. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? When mm-hmm. for them, it's, 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 it's something super meaningful, you know, especially when, when people, you know, it's, it, it's not even theirs. You know, again, very diverse groups in the Philippines, uh, very different uh, groups in the Philippines. And, you know, to to appropriate another cultural group's um, ways as part of your, you know, quote unquote, decolonization journey or mm. whatever, uh, you know, is 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 problematic. So, you know, and potentially dangerous, right? Um, and might be propagating, again, that, that otherness, uh, you know, that, that was rooted in colonialism. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I have, you know, so that's, that's what I have to say about that. You know, it's, again, we have to be careful with it, 
right? I, I love that, you know, that more and more people are becoming aware of the issues, you know, and seeing the parallels between their experiences of racism here mm-hmm. and the experiences of colonialism in the past and the experiences of colonialism that are still happening in the present, um, you know, but in our efforts to, you know, to to heal ourselves from that, in our efforts to do better, in our efforts to, um, you know, to, to break away, you know, from the chains of colonialism, um, you know, we have to be careful that we don't end up appropriating and, you know, further damaging other peoples. Mm. It's, it's a, it's a, you know, it's, it's a complex thing. It's, it's, it's very difficult. Um, because I also understand, you know, the, the fact that, you know, many people have lost so much, right. Many people, because of colonialism also, they've lost so much. Mm. Um, and so, you know, you know, there's a lot of confusion there. Um, and there's, you know, here, here, I'll say this. Mm, yeah. And I'm going to quote, I'm going to quote Franz Fanon. Like I said, my work mm. has been influenced by Franz Fanon very deeply. Mm. One of the, one of my favorite quotes from, from Franz Fanon was, was when he said, um, because it is a systematic negation of the other person and a furious determination to deny the other person all attributes of humanity. Colonialism forces the people it dominates to ask themselves the question constantly. In reality, who am I? So that's the quote from Franz Fanon. Mm. So what he was saying there is that one of colonialism's many damages is that it leaves the colonized in this perpetual identity crisis. Like colonialism takes so much away and erases so much of our own ways, right? Mm-hmm. That it leaves the colonized in this perpetual identity crisis. Like it leaves us with essentially nothing, right? Which is a highly distressing psychological condition, right? Mm-hmm. And so then in our search for, for something, right? in our desperate search to regain the things that colonialism has taken away from us, um, we then are in danger of, of reclaiming something that was not ours to begin mm. with. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so yeah. So I don't, so again, at the same time, I don't blame people mm. because so much has been taken away from them. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it's even, just good reflection for me in that in being a young person going through my own racial identity development, I can be complicit in further perpetuating the colonial mindset or appropriating something that's not mine Mm -hmm. or looking for something that Mm -hmm. actually just supports the system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and and so I just left, I guess, and, but I hear what you're saying. And s- then I'm just left continuing to wander. Uh-huh. Yeah. In, in search what do I, what do, that, I do? That, yeah. In search of something that, that you, yeah. you know, that is authentically yours, right? Exactly. But you have no idea what is. I don't know what that yours. is. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's what I said, you know, earlier we said, mm-hmm. you know, and we kind of giggled about it a little bit when yeah. we said, Colonialism messed us up so much, but we, it really has. It really has, yeah. You know, and this is really where you know we're right now we're realizing, you know, that we've lost so much, 
we really have lost so much and we don't even know what it is we've lost. Yeah. That's like the harder truth of mm-hmm. what I'm hearing right now. And so mm-hmm. what do we, what do we do? This is know? a depressing podcast. <laughs> <by the way. laughs> yeah. It's I'm actually sensing hope to be mm-hmm. honest, mm-hmm. you know, um, mm-hmm. because it, it helps me become more aware of, uh, the choices that I'm going to make because I'm going to continue having reflections on my identity and I'm going to continue being in search mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. becoming whole. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I'm going to have that continued search all of my life, but this conversation mm-hmm. is helpful because I can be more mindful of my choices mm-hmm. and not all choices are going to get me there. In fact, some choices may, may further the problem and Yep. Um, I don't think that's an awareness that I had before this conversation. Um, so for me, I, I feel hope. Hmm. Um, but I wonder then what are some of the right choices? I don't know if right is the, is the correct word, but mm-hmm. what choices can I make to decolonize mm-hmm. my mind and to ensure that it's, authentic it's genuine um it's not appropriative Mm -hmm. um and that i i'm working with the intention and the impact to to build build up our community Mm -hmm. oh that's a great question yeah it like you said you know we don't know what the right what what right is yeah Uh, you know, but I guess, you know, that's that's one of the lessons that we can learn is um, is, you know, to always be open to the possibility that our solutions today and our decisions today, you know, we decide on what we think is right today. Right. So our solutions today, our decisions today might be tomorrow's problems, um, mm. you know, and be open to that possibility. Um, and if we wake up tomorrow and we realize that what we did yesterday is problematic today, um, you know, to change again, to switch up again, you know, to admit that mistake, um, and to continue to try to do better. So we're always going to be Mm -hmm. making mistakes. Like you said, I think you alluded to that. Yeah. Um, you know, we're going to be making mistakes, not everything that you know, that not every decision that we make is going to be the right decision as well intentioned as we might be. Um, you know, but, but if, 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 if we realize that we've made a mistake, um, then I think the best thing to do is to, you know, to take responsibility and do better. Um, so that's one, uh, is, you know, is to, to do that. And then also be, you know, extend that grace to others and that when we see others make mistakes, you know, to also allow them to do better, mm-hmm. uh, give them the opportunity to do better as well. Um, especially, you know, we're talking about the Filipino community right now, the Filipino American community right now. We should, we should definitely give each other grace and be kind to each other. Um, because, you know, we were just talking about how all of us are in this constant identity crisis. Yeah. We're, all, we're all just trying to figure out who we are because colonialism has damaged us so much. Um, and this is why we need to be especially kind to each other and we need to be especially graceful to each other because, you know, all of us are going to make tons of mistakes 
in this quest to find who we are. Mm. And then, you know, and then lastly, I think a good guiding principle too is to always um, listen to, you know, people who are to me the most, you know, the most marginalized, like even within our community, even within the Filipino American community, there are, there are voices, there are communities who are um, marginalized even within our own community. You know, earlier I alluded to, you know, the indigenous peoples of the Philippines, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that today they are still being oppressed and that, you know, the more dominant groups in the Philippines, you know, who are now in positions of power, who are now running the government, um, they are continuing to, you know, take the ancestral lands of the indigenous peoples there. Um, you know, so the indigenous peoples of the Philippines to this day are battling for their ways, are battling for their lands, battling for their livelihoods. Um, and so, you know, we need to listen to that. Um, you know, to me, that's a good principle um, to abide by is to, you know, to always listen to the voice of the oppressed. Thank you so much for your time, for, for the words that you shared and for just um, engaging in this conversation and some of my own like personal questions. I, I really value um, what you've shared with me today. No, thank you. Thank you for, yeah. for inviting me to share some of my thoughts. Many of my thoughts have evolved and it's going to continue yeah. to evolve. Um, and also, I want to thank you again for, for spending time with the book. I really do appreciate that. I want to, you know, learn more and read more about uh, the evolution of, of your thoughts as well. <laughs> I think it's, it's really cool and um, it's, it's helping me understand my own journey. So thanks so much for your time today. All right. Enjoy the rest okay. of your day. All right. You too. Bye. Have a good one.